With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. If anything makes this the next to last show of 2020, it's that we just spent four minutes taping and we had hit the live button, but it did not send us live. Welcome to the next to last seven investing now of the of the year. Uh, God, this year cannot go away fast enough. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. My friends call me Dan. My mom calls me Daniel, maybe some teachers, but for the most part, my friends call me Dan. We just got past Christmas. Was not a great Christmas. I tempted the Christmas gods by postponing till June, and even the little part of Christmas I tried to do got ruined. Austin Lieberman, what was your favorite part of the holiday season? Well, for the second time in the last five minutes, my favorite part of uh, Christmas and this holiday season was just uh, playing with kids and see- seeing them enjoy gifts. And uh, we got a a basketball hoop for them. Uh, we say it's for them, but I think it's really for me. It's one of the ones that's about uh, head height for me, and we can adjust it to go up. But right now, they're young enough to where it's pretty much head height. So I'm terrible at basketball, but for the first time, I can dominate them on the court. I could slam dunk. I could do all the things that... I got made fun of uh, for when I was a kid for not being able to do. We had seven and eight foot hoops, uh, two different courts when I was at summer camp. And as adults, you know, it's like 14, 15 year olds. We would play like one on one or two on two and you feel like a Superman. But Steve, that's got to be what you feel like on a regular court anyway. You're like 11 feet tall. <laughs> I, I I used to like basketball a lot. I'm, I'm not as thin as I used to be, but uh, yeah, I was a high jumper. So I enjoyed it a lot. But uh no, I, I enjoyed Christmas too. Uh, I forgot to mention five minutes ago when we weren't live that I did a turkey on the Traeger. So that that was maybe my favorite part. But uh, of that would have been happy everything. So that would have been a better choice than what we did. As you know, we've pushed Christmas to June. We're gonna have a big Chris Monica New Year's party in June. We're not doing any of the holidays. We didn't have anniversary gifts. Like we basically skipped. And my our birthdays are both in October. We skipped them all. But I decided, hey, I'll order at least some turkey. I'll order like a Christmassy kind of dinner from Smoky Bones, which is a national barbecue chain. I placed my order the 23rd. I got my receipt, says pick it up Christmas at noon. You guys know the ending to this. I drive to Smoky Bones Christmas at about 1145. I get there and I go, there's only one car. Well, maybe they made the orders yesterday and I'm just picking up. No, they were not there. They're in fact not open. They did not find this all that important the next day when I called them up and told them they ruined Christmas. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I said, we're all excited. Tiny Tim took it the worst of all. He was just crying right at the table. Uh, we ended up having Christmas pizza because that's all that was left uh, by the time it was time for us to order. Uh, we're, we're moving, so there's not a lot of, we moved, so not a lot of food in the house. But guys, this is a special edition of 7investing now. We're going to do a first of our two-part look back at uh, the year 2020. There's very little good to say about 2020 other than it brought us 7investing and, well, really not that much else of 7investing and, I don't know, Wonder Woman? Haven't seen it yet. It is not 
been a great year. But I asked Steve and Austin, and later this week on Wednesday, the rest of the team, to bring what they think the most interesting, most important, we didn't define it all that much, story in their sector was for the year. We're going to get back, to, we're going to get to that really quickly. We're going to follow that with predictions for 2021. And then I did an interview with Ravi Kumar. He's the head of the direct bank at CIT. He talked about New Year's resolutions and the changes people are making. That's our first ever played from tape live during the show interview on this platform. So, hey, it's 2020. That should go great. Uh, Why don't we start? Oh, and I forgot. We are going to start first with four questions about the market. I forgot. We switched the order up. We're going to go to the year in review after that. Steve, we'll start with you. Aside from the pandemic, what surprised you the most about 2020? Uh, there's a lot to choose from on this one. Were, Steve. were there surprises in 2020? I, I <laughs> thought it was kind of boring, but no. Uh, I, I think what surprised me the most, to be honest, was was the resilience of the stock market as a whole. Uh, you know that that we had this massive pullback um, that I was actually a little worried about in late December, uh, given sort of the euphoria. Uh, in the markets, but uh, how quickly it snapped back and just how forward looking everything is, uh, was and is. So uh, I, I would say um, the the ferocity of the rebound and how it sustained itself so far. It's optimism in the face of the worst situation imaginable, but at least we see some light at the end of the tunnel today. I think uh, it's weird. We're a pessimistic society, but somehow when it comes to the stock market, we're like endlessly optimists. Uh, Austin, how do you answer that question? I Actually, Dan, I don't think we're a pessimistic society. I think uh, pessimism is often like what we see. But in general, I think uh, there's a lot of people that think, you know, that are optimistic and, and certainly business owners are optimistic. That's why they're that's why they're business owners. Uh, I think um, in- interest rates. Uh, housing interest rates have really surprised me in 2020. So we uh, got our mortgage in 2018 and we were hoping, we were scared it was going to be over a 5% interest rate for a little while uh, leading into that. We ended up with like around a 3.9 and then we've refinanced twice this year. Once we got it down to 2.875 and then just this weekend through Rocket Mortgage, which if anybody's thinking about refinancing, they've been incredibly easy. Uh, we got down to 2.25 for a 30-year VA loan. So normal rates might be a little bit different, but I would have never imagined uh, a 2.25 interest rate in 2020. It's just insane. My my first mortgage was at 8%. I was pretty stunned when I got 4%. I think uh, the house we're selling, we're at like a little over three. And if we weren't selling, it might make sense to refinance, Uh, though that's, I'm not sure I ever want to go through that again. Question two, and we'll start with Austin. Do you think the massive amount of people who started trading, not investing, during the pandemic will be a positive or negative in the years to come. Austin. I have no idea. Um, I don't, (laughs) I don't really care or focus on it too much. I think, um, the, the good thing that's happened is, uh, investing is more accessible. Uh, there's always cons that come with that. There's, there's people that unfortunately get tricked into, you know, certain schemes or, or thinking about, um, profit in, months or weeks versus long-term, but I don't, in terms of the people who started trading, I, I don't know. Uh, I just like the trends that we're seeing in, in terms of investing and financial awareness being talked about more and being more common. And now it's hopefully on services like us to help people make use of that for the long-term and, and invest in what we think is the right way. 
there are some lessons you could learn here, and I hope people learn them. The problem is the worst thing that can happen to you in the stock market is to like buy some stock you know nothing about, and it goes up by ten thousand percent. It's the equivalent of to walking in a casino, putting all your money on like number eight, and having it come up in roulette. You're like roulette's easy, I win every time. That is not how it works. Steve Simonton, your thoughts here? Um, I, I think uh, I think it's a positive in that that the market is like Austin said, becoming more accessible uh, and more people are familiar with it and less intimidated by it. And I think that was something that, that uh, a lot of people struggled with, you know, 10, 20 years ago was that the stock market felt intimidating and unapproachable. And um, so in that sense, it's good. Uh, I'm a little afraid that people are going to get burned and uh, we're going to get a lot of people who, who've never really felt the pain of significant losses uh, and that's that's going to be tough to watch. Uh, but I also think that'll help people pivot uh, from short-term trading focus to a long-term investing methodology. So uh, I, I should hope that that happens uh, you know, sooner than later. Maybe people say, hey, you know what, I should be more cautious with my gains and uh, transition to a, a safer approach. But uh, I, I hope it'll be good. That's why we preach long-term investing here at 7investing. If you own good companies and just hold on to them, you don't have to look at the stock market every day. We do because it's our job and it's kind of what we're judged on. You don't have to. Remember, this is an interactive show. It's, of course, a couple of days before New Year's. We assume most of you are watching this taped. But if you're watching it live, share a comment with us. We are happy to take your questions uh, Take your thank yous, take your complaints, whatever it is, live on the air. Question three, what's something you think most people get wrong about the stock market or the sector of it you cover? I'll start with mine. I'm not going to weigh in on all of these. I cover retail, and people have this really strong misconception about how much of sales is moving online. They think it's 50%, 60%. At the height of the pandemic, it was 20%. It will probably be about 18% normal run rate post-pandemic. It's not going to get that much higher than that. So be wary when you read something that gets it all wrong. You know, the internet killed them all. That's not what happened. Steve Simonton, you can go first. I th- I think um, one of the things that most people get wrong about the stock market, uh, not necessarily just sectors I cover, are, uh, are assuming that um, large, seemingly expensive stocks can't continue to get even larger uh, or even more expensive. So uh, that's something, you know, winners tend to keep on winning and uh, a lot of people tend to focus uh, and and there is some merit to focusing on a potential turnaround or stocks that are beaten down unnecessarily. uh, But often people are afraid to add to their winners uh, over time. Uh, and they're afraid to start investing because something's climbed. Uh, but really, uh, the best time to start investing is now. Uh, we tweeted that out earlier. Um, and, you know, even even bit by bit, dollar cost average your way. And don't, you know, if you've got a bunch of money to put to work, maybe just put a little bit of it to work at a time over the next several months. Uh, that way, if the stock market continues to climb, you participate. If it falls, you still have some dry powder to put to work. And, uh, you know, just, just ease your way in uh, if you're looking to put money to work. Uh, at this stage. And for those of you new to this world, dry powder means available cash. We uh, we assume a lot of you know that kind of stuff, but we like to be accessible to everybody. Austin Lieberman, uh, your answer to what are people getting wrong about the market or your sector in general? Uh, this, this is a huge question. Um, <laughs> you got 90 seconds. I think a, you know, a mistake, a mistake that's, that's really easy to make, and I make it, and I think a lot of us make it, is uh, just grouping 
stocks companies really together and making blanket statements. So for example, uh, high risk, high reward, or uh, growth stock, value stock, whatever. The and, and you'll see a bunch of data and research out there that shows uh, low risk stock. This is one I saw over Twitter this weekend. Low risk stocks actually produce higher return than high risk stocks. And they look at you know 4,000 companies in, in 20 different countries. That's all great. That that data is is great, but it's really not applicable to us as people who invest in individual companies, uh, because our approach is is not to follow any of those rules where we can only invest in one type of company or another type of company or even Fang or whatever grouping of stocks. We look at uh, you know big trends and then we try to find great companies to invest in for the long term. And so I think it's a trap to fall into those those like blanket wide statements across multiple industries and something that I I try not to do because I'm looking at individual businesses. Question number four, where were you the most wrong when it came to the stock market or a specific stock over the past year? For me, it's multiple years. It's Tesla. I didn't believe in Tesla and I'm, I'm astoundingly wrong. Apparently Austin Lieberman, you could take this one first. I was trying to pull up the data. So this year specifically, so there's this little game on Twitter. It's a game. I, did, I don't short companies, um, but it, you pick one long and one short. And the company I picked short in this game was uh, GameStop because I just didn't see mm-hmm. what the business, and I think the stock has actually done pretty well this year. <laughs> because you're right, but it's it's a really well-managed company. So their death is going to take much longer than expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's an example of like, hey, I, like, you could be right about something. And if you short a stock or use margin or something like that, you could totally get destroyed. Uh, and then anyway, uh, long-term again, Dan, and I'd just like to remind myself and the viewers of this as much as possible. I sold Shopify. I had like 200 shares in 2016 or something like that at about $50 a share. And uh, it's a multi, it's like a hundred plus thousand dollar mistake at this point because shares are around $1,200 last time I checked. But, but he used it to buy rollerblades. So all is good. I have no idea what he bought it for. But sometimes, and we've talked about this with Steve, sometimes when you sell something, if it's for the right reason, Steve sold shares to buy his house. You can be happy about that, even if it turns out to be the wrong thing, because that's why we invest. Steve, I'll give you the last word in this question, and then we're going to take some questions from the viewers. Where was I wrong? Um, oh, man. I... Uh... I think I I was wrong in that I was overly skeptical uh, of the rally early on this year, uh, the rebound, how how just like I mentioned earlier, ferocious it's been uh, from its March lows. And uh, I expressed some of that caution uh, to seven investing subscribers uh, earlier this year. And I said, you know, I'm a little nervous uh, with how how quickly this has rallied, but I'm staying invested. That was sort of the caveat uh, was that I, I'm using caution right now, um, but that doesn't mean I'm selling anything. Uh, and that's just kind of how we do it. We buy businesses. We hang on to them for the long term um, and, and we do sell. Um, yeah, or we, we don't generally sell uh, very easily. And, uh, you know, sometimes um, we might trim a position or something if it's too much of our, our overall portfolio. And to be honest, I, I actually did that with Tesla, which I bought not last June, but the June before at like a split adjusted 40 bucks a share or something absurd. And uh, I sold it at, I think, um, 
it was like 900 or something before it split. Uh, I didn't sell it all. Uh, I sold about half my position at the time. Um, I should have obviously hung on to it all just like, you know, we say we will, but it was such a huge part of my portfolio. I was like, ah, this is making me nervous. Um, so maybe there's another place that I was sort of partially wrong. Uh, but I did believe in Tesla at the time. Uh, but yeah, I was pretty skeptical of the rally and uh, I would say, uh, technically I was wrong, even though I held on to, uh, the stocks that I owned, I was, I was, uh, I was sort of wrong in my my caution that uh, the, you know, how much further can this go in the near term? Yeah, I actually think it's okay if you own so much of something in terms of value in your portfolio that it doesn't pass the sleep test. If, if it's not worth the potential extra pro- profit, if you're worrying about it at night. Before we get to what we're watching, where we're going to talk about the top stories of the year, let's take some questions quickly from the viewers. Breenwatch wants to know about two stocks, uh, Zoom and Chewy. I'm going to talk about Chewy a little bit. Uh, Guys, raise your hand as to who wants to talk about Zoom. Chewy is actually a company that I think would have been a disaster had the pandemic not happened. They They don't do anything that Amazon doesn't do, and they're not a better price. But the pandemic forced customers to them. Amazon couldn't meet orders for some of the pet products. That got customers to Chewy, and Chewy is a perfectly good service. It's as good, if not slightly better, an experience than Amazon. There's a little bit more of a personal touch. So Chewy is one I did not believe in, and I don't want to own it because of the complicated ownership structure with PetSmart controlling it, but this went from something I thought wasn't viable to actually being a pretty good business because of the pandemic. Austin, you wanted to take Zoom. Yeah, Zoom. Um, I I've talked a lot about it on Twitter, so just uh, search Twitter uh, cash sign ZM and then seven Austin L, and you'll see like all the stuff I've said about Zoom. I've been very bullish on the company all year. I'm still bullish on the company. I think uh, a lot of people think it, it's going to crash or that this is it's in some type of bubble. I don't think it's in a bubble at all. I, I think uh, the capabilities of Zoom provide businesses a required way to communicate and uh, with each other and also now with subscribers and to sell things and do video calls and meetings their their sales are phenomenal it's growing uh 300% year over year basically that that growth is going to go down in 2021 but the stock really isn't that excessively priced given the uh, how exceptionally the business has performed it's sitting at a, a forward price to sales ratio of around 30 and it, in the previous quarters, it has been growing over 300% year over year. And when we think about uh, how fast that business scaled, the founder-led management, how innovative they are, and they're now talking about getting into calendar and email, this is this is going to continue to outperform the market, I believe. And it's one of the strongest businesses in the world. It won't outperform like it did in 2020, but uh, I, I think over the five, 10 years, um, still a great business to own. Yeah, I agree. We're not going to Zoom as much. Uh, we're probably, when we can have in-person meetings, we're not going to have our weekly Zoom happy hour. We're just occasionally going to fly someplace and, and have some drinks together, maybe a you know an appetizer or something. Uh, but we're still going to have work meetings for Zoom. We're still going to record over Zoom. We don't record this show, 7 Investing Now, over Zoom, but we do our podcast and some of our other team events. Steve, I'm going to take the one from Yashupa. If you could take the one from uh, Yuijal, I'm, I'm not reading that correctly, uh, <laughs> that would be great. Uh, Yushipa wants to know, will seven investing cover stocks on the Toronto stock exchange? We're allowed to, uh, it's certainly possible. One of us would pick something that trades on a foreign exchange. Uh, Steve, I don't know if we've done it yet, but there are no rules about, uh, where we can pick our stocks from. Yeah. So, um, 
the the task we've been given as lead advisors at Seven Investing is pretty simple. It's to find the single best stock idea uh, in our personal opinion. So me, Austin, Dan, and uh, the four other advisors we have, uh, the single best stock idea in any given month, we present that to you. Uh, so if it's on the Toronto Stock Exchange, you know what? If it's BlackBerry or something, uh, then then sure. Um, you know, we, we can cover them. We can pick them. Uh, we want to be able to easily buy them uh, through a U.S. brokerage account, uh, obviously, because we do put real money to work. But uh, but yeah, that's that's uh, certainly within the realm of possibility uh, if one of our stock ideas happens to be on the TSE. So um, and that second question um, from uh, from Ujual, uh, I'm not sure how to say it. SaaS stocks, he says, what do you think about their recent valuation? Uh, should a retail investor book profits or stay for the long term? How much pullback can we expect in SaaS stocks? How to maintain a balance? Uh, several questions in one there. Um, but um, it, you could make the argument, you know, say that certain SaaS stocks are, are overvalued. And by SaaS, he means software as a service. So these are companies that are pursuing uh, recurring revenue streams and and offering software as a service, literally. And um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people are comparing this to like the tech bubble of the early 2000s with some crazy valuations. But uh, we've talked about this several times before that SaaS stocks uh, in general, uh, we think some of them might actually justify uh, their valuations because the quality of their revenue streams is higher. Their gross margins are healthier. Uh, they're focusing on better overall businesses. So uh, I, I won't venture a guess as to how much pullback we can expect in SaaS stocks. I wouldn't rule out a, a near-term correction uh, for some of them. But um, anyone who tells you, uh, to be honest, that they know exactly what stocks are going to do in the near term uh, over the next six months, you know, for example, uh, is either ignorant or naive, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, that that's very tough. You know, maybe those are harsh words, but uh, you can't say in the near term, you know exactly what stocks are going to do. So I won't venture uh, a guess as to how much pullback we can expect. But I just stay invested. Expect pullbacks. This is a feature, not a bug uh, of the markets. And uh, that's just kind of how we approach it. Uh, Steve, you are ruining Wednesday's show where I am having Mistress Claudine, a psychic who knows exactly where. No, I'm kidding. We are not doing that. That would be a great idea. We're going to take more of your questions uh, as we go, but we are going to move on now to what we're watching. Guys, let's keep this tight. We are we are running a little bit long here, and we've got that interview to run. Uh, we're going to talk about our top stories of the year. Steve, you wanted to go first. Uh, what what most excited you about 2020? Um. So. I think uh, there's a couple themes that are that are starting to emerge. Uh, I think one is that uh, artificial intelligence uh, is people investing in AI. Um, the, the trend has been accelerated, you know. So uh, we've seen uh, in healthcare in particular. Uh, I think there was an Optum survey recently where they uh, they surveyed 500 different healthcare executives, and 56% of them said they're accelerating or expanding uh, their AI deployment timelines in response to the pandemic. And uh, I think we're going to see more headlines like that as we go into 20, you know, 2021. Uh, we're going to see that these companies have have really accelerated their investments in artificial intelligence and machine learning and specific ways that they can actually create value and uh, shareholder value and uh, build their enterprise value of their businesses uh, by leveraging AI and machine learning, whether that means, you know, investing in something uh, with data analytics. Um, you know, or, or, you know, the specific uh, 
systems that support their businesses. Uh, but I think we're going to see more headlines like that, uh, specifically as it pertains to AI. And uh, I guess as a bonus, if I can squeeze it in, I, I think it's also the pandemic also accelerated uh, the momentum of companies crucial to network infrastructure. Um, so you're, you see a lot of companies that kind of support uh, the Internet uh, as we have it. And a couple of them, uh, several of them are on our scorecard already. Um, but you know, remember back in April when we had these stay at home orders and everybody using zoom, uh, the internet was quite literally pushed to its limits as far as capacity went. And, uh, it managed to hold up uh, in large part, thanks to the companies that were supporting uh, network infrastructure. And, um, I think they've sort of proved their worth there. And I think companies have realized they don't want to push the limits like that again. Uh, so the ability to kind of leverage, uh, those companies and investors who know, uh, to buy those stocks uh, when they're when they're down, or uh, even you know to add to the winners, uh, I think will win uh, going forward. So network infrastructure, AI, I think both accelerated by the pandemic in 2020, and uh, should be an interesting 2021. The internet at the beginning of this was like the Magic Kingdom at Disney World on Christmas. They hit capacity. It's very unpleasant, but eventually you get where you were going. There were a lot of times where like you're what is. I actually was curious about this, and and, and feel free to message us. Anybody who watched Wonder Woman on HBO Max on Friday, we didn't because of our, our dinner saga. Mm. I'm curious how they handled the load on that. That feels to me like it would be like probably or, or maybe Pixar's soul on Disney Plus feels like that would be the most watched movie of all time all at once. I, I might be wrong, um, yeah. but I'd be curious to know if the experience was good. So, Austin, your topic is one that's near and dear to our heart. Uh, Simon Erickson, our CEO, and by extension, all of us started a business in 2020 and our goal isn't to be a small business, but we're a small business at the moment. A lot of people followed our lead. Austin, talk about the business boom in the U.S. Yeah, and uh, this, you know, I think unexpected for me and unexpected from a lot of people after a pandemic. But um, the number of new businesses in America is booming. That's a article that came out from... That's the title of an article that came out in The Economist in October 10th. And I mean, that trend is continuing, but really that's the, that's the fact, right? They've seen, um, I mean, data shows that new business applications basically through 2020 are at a 14 year high. The last time uh, new business applications were anywhere near where they are now, or this year was in 2006. And then it kind of dipped down after the great financial crisis. And uh, I think when you, when you think about, what a global pandemic and a global recession, or even there were talks of a depression happening. When you think about what that would do, you would think that that would kill small business, right? But um, this has been interesting because it was a basically a forced global recession and uh, just the dynamics of it and where we're at with exactly what Steve was talking about, cloud computing, internet infrastructure, how cheap and easy it is to spin the services up that you need to start a business using literally just zoom and slack and then a payment processor you you could be teaching things online and have a business uh, but there's been you know additional not just like at home stuff but additional startups and people doing all kinds of different things and ai and uh um like genomic research all kinds of things like there's there's at home businesses starting there's you know businesses that are of a much broader scale potentially than that starting and i think the good news is is what we see there is just innovation, right? And so we're, I think this pandemic has been hard. It's been terrible in a lot of ways, but we're going to look back in five or 10 years and, and be amazed at the businesses that were started 
um, Okta was started in 2008 on the, on the, at the beginning of the great recession. And so I think we're going to see stories like that. And we're going to look back at 2020 and see some amazing businesses that were started and amazing innovations that, that happened. And, and, um, it, it won't be as bad as we're thinking 2020 was now. And, and it sounds crazy, but it was a boom year for people creating cl- cleaning businesses. We we decided we needed to be a little bit more careful about hygiene. And I don't think that's something that's going to go away. Sure, we're not going to need to disinfect our entire office every night, but there is a sort of new normal for that. There's a lot of things. Delivery. I don't think delivery is going to look like what it looks like now, but we want these conveniences. The pandemic pushed this forward. So as much as this was bad, there was some good Simon Austin, we're going to take the question from Lewis Carruthers. But before we do that, this, of course, is Seven Investing Now, and we are all lead advisors at Seven Investing. What do we do? Every month, we give you our seven best ideas. Each of us picks one stock. We write a big report on it. We record a video where we can push back at each other. As a member, you get access to all of that along with uh, exclusive members-only meetings, all sorts of exclusive content. Um you know, Steve might come to your house if you got something on a high shelf and help you get it down. We've got all sorts of things for members. That last one was a joke. How do you join? 7investing.com slash subscribe. We won't belabor it. We got a lot of show left. Uh, but Lewis Carruthers says, in a wild year where investors have had triple digit returns, how do you maintain realistic expectations for 2021? Um and can you fairly assess the quality of your investing strategy? We do that over years. You know, our investing strategy, sure, our track record at 7investing is great, but our track record as individual investors back when it wasn't as publicly tracked, there, there are still, still some places like tip ranks where you can see you know, some of our history before this. Um, but Steve, why don't you weigh in a little bit here? Next year is not going to be like 80% gains for everything, yeah. but good companies are still going to do well. I think next year might might surprise some people expecting a pullback. Uh, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this in our finisher too. But uh, uh, yeah, that that's a very good question. You know, and when everybody's kind of getting uh, pretty impressive gains, uh, how do you fairly assess the quality of your investing strategy? It, it's difficult uh, because a lot of people, what they'll do is say, you know, hey, I bought this stock and it's quadrupled since March. And of course it has, like everything, everything <laughs> has. Uh, so that, that's, that's really tough. But, you know, and what makes uh, our, our track record a little more difficult um, is that we're picking new stocks on the first of every month. And then we're measuring their returns based on the S&P 500 from the first of each and every month. So even if the stock market falls or if it's only up 5% or whatever, we've got to beat it. And um so uh, it's difficult, but like you said, uh, over the course of years, I think is how you fairly assess, your, uh, assess the quality of your investing strategy. And uh, one of the things that we do is 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 our homework. Um, you know, they're comprehensive reports. We spend a lot of time digesting and uh, digging into the companies that we recommend. Uh, and I think you have to trust your homework and uh, and and know what you're buying. And that's one of those uh, those investing principles that we're going to cover in a future podcast. Is is know you know form a thesis, know exactly why you own what you own, and uh, and just trust your homework. Uh, and and it'll you know it'll play out uh, as you 
you know, more often than not, if you're right, more often than you're wrong, uh, it, it should have fantastic long-term results, but long-term. <laughs> Steve, Steve, I'm giggling because more than one of my high school teachers watches the show from time to time, and they're going to laugh at the idea that sure, now I do my homework, like <laughs> do any of it for, for four years of high school. The one thing I'll say is look at our investing thesis. So if you look at a stock we picked and maybe it's up 70%, Look at why we said it would go up. And I, and I can think of you know two of my picks that what I said would happen happened, but because of the pandemic, it happened much quicker than you would have expected. I think we're seeing that in a lot of places. And then what we do is we evaluate. Uh, if you remember, you get our year-end summary. And what, what we did in some of the year-ends is we evaluate, okay, yep, this is pretty frothy. It's grown pretty fast, but here's where we still think it can go. Guys, this was exciting. We are going to hit the home stretch. We're going to go through our predictions for 2021. Just a quick prediction for each of us. Uh, Steve, I will let you take this first. Um, for 2021, are we looking at the, the market as a whole? Um, you know, oh, it can be anything. You want, you want to predict a, uh, a you know, Anaheim Ducks Stanley Cup? Go ahead. Um, I uh, I think it'll be a, a better 2021 uh, than a lot of people fear it'll be. You know, the markets have rallied really hard uh, from their March lows, but I think uh, with persistently low interest rates, you know, this is this is just me, um, you know, off the cuff, I guess. But persistently low interest rates, encouraging people to continue to own equities rather than fixed income investments. That's a, a tailwind for the stock market. We have fresh stimulus coming in. We have a, an administration coming into the White House that is uh, looking for additional stimulus after that, uh, that I think should help um as we sort of see this return to normalcy. Uh, but that doesn't you know, necessarily mean the market as a whole will climb, but I think this will be great for stock pickers like us who have the ability to single out opportunities within, uh, you know, seeing the, 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 the forest through the trees, I guess, uh, finding opportunities that will win no matter what. Steve, before we throw to Austin, I'll predict that we're going to see a lot of experimentation in the co-working, co-living, and transportation space. I think you might see like commuter flights into like San Francisco from like cheap, nice places where you come in and you work for three or four days, sort of like the casinos offer where like you could leave Friday morning and come back Monday morning and they take care of the flight. It's actually a very old school thing that the casinos have been doing mm -hmm. now. Austin, before we get to you, I want to share a comment from <laughs> Silvertrap. I saw that. Uh, I am investing in all the stocks that Austin recommends now from now on. He is from the future, all his picks. Uh, and I'm going to guess those are rocket ship emojis. Uh, look, we're not always right, but Austin is right more than most of us a lot of the time. <laughs> Austin, your prediction for 2021. I have nothing else to say after that tweet. Uh, <laughs> I agree with everything that that person said. Thank you, Silvertrap. No, uh, thank you. I mean, incredibly kind. Um, so my prediction is that most people's predictions are going to be wrong. And to just remember that, right. And like, none of us are here making these predictions saying like, we know what's going to happen. We say all the time, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. We're kind of having fun with this, making predictions. So if I had to make a couple, I think, um, Alteryx is going to be acquired in 2021. That's not, I own the company. That's not my investment investment thesis. I actually think I don't want this to happen. I think Fastly is going to get acquired in 2021 as well, or before 2021. We'll see maybe this week. And then, um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't do predictions are tough, right? It's like the market's going to go up. It's going to go down. Nobody knows what's going to happen. 
and invest in, in great businesses. And then back to the question about like, how do you move your strategy forward or how do you know what was right and what was wrong? Uh, I look at, at the thesis is what I wanted to see happening in the business happening and then try to disassociate that from stock market returns, especially now. One thing I am thinking about is if I've recommended a company and I'm saying that I want to own it for three to five years and the stock is up hundred percent this year, do I still want to own the company? Am I still bullish on the company or am, am I thinking that, uh, that that's it? And if I'm thinking that that's it, then that's a sign to me that I'm not really investing for the long term. Because when I think about long term, I think about returns in the thousands of percents. That's a kind of a, a lofty goal. So that means if a company goes up 100% and I'm, I'm nervous about it, then I probably didn't do enough work and think long term enough because I should be thinking in terms of you know multiples of that. That's how I invest. And so I don't know, this has been a crazy year. I don't expect, I'd never expect returns like this. But but by sticking to your process and having like a solid financial picture and, and living below our means, that allows us allows us to stay invested. And because I don't know what's going to happen, maybe maybe t- t- 2021 is more ridiculous than this year in terms of stock return. Oh dear God! Don't don't, say, don't even don't, say that. <laughs> I don't let the market dictate. I, seriously, I don't let the market and what happens dictate how I invest. It's you you have a process try to own great companies and then you you manage your finances and in your time horizons and don't let the market dictate how you invest that i mean that's how i try to invest and i'm not at all perfect at it in 2021 i fully expect to be doing this show from a beach in the bahamas we're going to take <laughs> one last question before we get to my interview with ravi kumar Steve Austin, this is from KVOP27. Uh, And let me summarize. Rhetoric these days uh, seems to be that in 2021, tech stocks are going to suffer. Um, Given market can always surprise you. Do you believe that? Are are you worried about tech stocks in 2000? I'm not. Uh, I don't think in that timetable. But good companies are good companies. Uh, Steve, you first and then Austin. Let's be quick on this one. I'd say I'm I'm worried about some tech companies. Uh, You know, it might not be sustainable if the quality of the business doesn't necessarily justify the valuation. Um, But I I won't use that as a blanket statement. Um, It'll be muted for some tech companies that have have soared unjustifiably. Uh, but I think the key is is recognizing when that's not the case. Uh, so I, I think to say 2021 is going to be muted for tech companies, you shouldn't use that as a blanket statement because there will be tech companies that will continue to climb. You're watching Seven Investing now. This is part one of a two-part year and episode. We're going to have the whole rest of the team, uh, minus Matt Cochran, who's dealing with some family business on the Wednesday show. Before we hit our finisher, uh, we've got a special treat for you. I sat down with Ravi Kumar. He's the head of CIT's Direct Bank. They did a survey on New Year's resolutions, and they found some really interesting things. 2020 has changed behavior. Uh, Let me give you a quick note before we play this, and we're going to come back after the interview. It's about eight minutes long. Um, This was taped before my home studio was done, so it's it's a work in progress. It's sort of you're going to get to see a little bit behind the scenes. But uh, Sam Bailey, if you would roll that interview, it would be appreciated. And joining me today on Seven Investing Now is Ravi Kumar, the head of CIT's Direct Bank. Ravi, welcome to Seven Investing Now. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here in uh, in our makeshift studio. We're getting there. We're not mm-hmm. quite done. Just realizing my shot, not exactly perfect, but uh, this is eventually going to be my in-home studio. We are getting there. You guys did a survey 
Uh, and you found that despite the difficulties of 2020, 64% of those surveyed kept the resolutions they made for the year. The study also showed that 40% of Americans are saving the same amount of money compared to this time last year, with another 27% reporting that they're saving more money. That's about two-thirds saving more or the same Robbie, this has been a difficult year. Are these results kind of encouraging? Uh, you know, despite all of this, people are still on the right track. Yeah, you know, uh, this was when we got the results. Uh, you know, obviously it was very encouraging because this has been a difficult year for all of us. And uh, to see that two thirds of Americans uh, or more are actually saving either the same or more was encouraging. That looks like there's financial stability in most people's lives. So yeah, we were, we were super thrilled to see the results. Do you think the pandemic scared people into being a little more cautious? I know even I'm working, my wife is working. I've been maybe a little wary to spend money. Yeah, you know, I think people are cautious, but people also are using the time to think about their finances. They are budgeting, uh, I think, from what we are seeing. And people are getting into the habit of savings, right? Which people didn't have maybe not the time for, not the energy for. So I think it's, you know, for all the negative things which have happened this year, uh, that has been, you know, one positive streak that we have seen. We're going to list through some of the negative things that have happened. No, we're not. We all know what the (laughs) negative things are this year. So... We often talk about this. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. You, you might have to correct some of those mistakes. You know, if your credit's bad, if you have a lot of debt, you got to get out of that. But it's important to start right now. What types of financial goals would you like to see people set for 2021? Yeah, you know, first is if you do not have it, have an emergency savings. Emergency savings are super important in all times, but particularly this pandemic has shown us that you need to have one. Because if you don't have emergency savings and if you have a medical emergency or something happens, you know, you either have to fall onto credit cards or personal loan, which has got, you know, which has got a lot more cost. Many times you might not even have the money come to you right away. So have have emergency savings, you know, set a goal for yourself and start saving towards the goal. The second is to make sure that you are consistently saving. You know, habit of savings is like, waking up at 6 a.m. every day. And if you don't have that habit, make it make it a you know, priority. So that's another goal I would suggest. So let's talk a little bit about resolutions. On the Monday or last Monday's edition of 7investing now, I said that my resolution for 2021 is to stop making dumb, impulsive tech purchases. I, I commented that I have about 60 different of those batteries you use to charge your phone, which is like <laughs> maybe 54 more than I need. I and mean, we live in a hurricane area, so having four or five is not the worst thing in the world uh, in a household of three. But I have way too many. I'm very susceptible for, wow, it's a new shape or you know whatever it is. But what types of resolutions are you seeing people make? And uh, have they changed due to the, let's call it unique year we've all been through? Yeah, you know, when, when, the, when the survey came back, it was very interesting to see that, first of all, very, you know, resolutions consistent, not surprising, like, you know, 56% said they would exercise more regularly. 50% said they would manage their weight. Uh, about 49, so that's about 50% said they would want to develop a habit of savings. And, and 50% said, I would do more self-care. So all of these teams were very positive, but actually they revolved around self-care. And actually 
39% said they would want to spend more time with the family. So people are finally kind of, because they had so much time to spend with themselves, they are like, you know, I need to make my life better. I need to be healthy and be saving more. And actually with, with Gen Zs, we found that 53% said they would want to develop a new skill because they have more time. So they want to develop new habits, new skills. So very positive difference is actually self-care. People want to take care of themselves and also obviously their finances. So very positive, very positive in going into 2021. I was going to say, I want to spend more time with some of the family, less time with the family I've been cooped up with for seven months. <laughs> it, is, it is no offense to them, but uh, you know, it has been a rough, rough period. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. As we get close to the end here, it's not easy to stick to your resolutions. Uh, I, I know that I've always advocated making uh, sort of very manageable resolutions. Uh, one year I wrote a column about it, uh, that my resolution was eat more risotto, really attainable. It, it was a new food to me at the time. I worked hard to accomplish that. And I joke a little bit, but what I told people they should be doing is cut the things that don't bring you joy. So we always talk about that a uh, cup of coffee, you know, if you spend $5 a day, what if that cup of coffee is the bliss of your life? I, I, I love that morning cup of coffee. Now, am I wasting money in, a, in an afternoon at a lunch I don't need? Or sometimes at dinner, maybe I'm getting a drink or a dessert that wasn't worth. That's where you make the cuts, the ones that hurt the least. What types of advice do you give uh, your clients and your staff members uh, about sticking to resolutions? Yeah, first of all, in the survey, we found that actually this year, because of you know, everything we talked about, people have been able to be more successful this year about savings. But a few things I would say, right? First of all, if you have not explored opening an account with an online bank or drug bank, for example, our you know, CIT bank is one of the top 10 drug banks. So, you know, open an, any, any drug bank because then you could do all the banking you need from, you know, sitting in your home, you know, on a couch, right? So that is important because what that will do is you can open accounts and you can manage your accounts online on your phone as and when you want it. The second is to make sure that, you know, all these banks like our bank, you know, all of us offer you a lot of tools and also advice, make sure you use them, right? So what, what I found is, for example, we have card controls. So if you have a debit card, if you have a checking account, you can actually set limits. For example, as you were saying, Dan, I don't want to spend money on this item. I don't <laughs> want to spend more money than this amount. So you can set that up and actually you can manage that very efficiently. And also, you know, there are a lot of products which offer you and help you build a habit I had talked before. So it's all about setting a goal and actually saving, let's say $100 or $200 a month. Just start there. And what, if you build that habit and we say for X amount of months, X amount of weeks, what you'll find is that you're working and getting towards your goal. It's again, like for me, is waking up early, right? And waking up early at 6 a.m., it took me like almost, well, I would say almost two months to get there. So it's more the same as that, right? So build up a habit. We have a product called Savings Builder, which actually achieve, helps you achieve that. And we have seen a big number of people actually use the product. And if you actually save more than $100 per month, they give you more interest. And when we have talked to people, it has been always about getting into that habit. And so we've had, you know, so many stories, for example, a veteran who just came out of, of, of the force. He said, you know, he actually used the product to save money towards the down payment of his next house, right? And so there were so many examples 
and you could have, you could use all these tools to get where you need to be in your lives. So use the tools, build your habits, and you'll be off to a great start. Ravi Kumar, thank you for doing this. Ravi is, of course, the head of CIT's Direct Bank. I look forward to maybe next year a trade show. Maybe we could do this in person at uh, Money 2020 or ETA Transactor. I don't know which shows you go to, but I go to them all. I look forward to it. Thank you, Ravi, for joining us on 7 Investing Now. Thanks, Dan, and thanks for having me. Thank you. And welcome back to the live show. We are just about ready to uh, climb up to the top rope, hit our finisher. Austin Lieberman has a few minutes before he has to go. But Steve Simonton, you wanted to take one more question from our viewers. We appreciate all of you today. Steve. Yes, uh, there's a question from Tucker. Can you describe how the Fed is pumping up the economy, rates, bond purchases, et cetera? Um, so these are these are pretty close, closely correlated. I'll give you a 30-second answer on this. Um, really, the, the first thing, uh, when it comes to keeping interest rates low or near zero, it, it essentially becomes really cheap to borrow money. Uh, it discourages saving and encourages uh, reinvesting or spending, uh, spending by corporations and individuals alike. Uh, so a essentially um, basically spurs economic activity by keeping interest rates low. Uh, as far as bond purchases, uh, it's a matter of injecting money into the banking system. So they'll buy um, bonds from banks and uh, basically make sure there's plenty of money available uh, in order to lend and spend and uh, essentially swaps out those bonds uh, for cash in the economy has the same byproduct of spurring economic activity. So um, that's essentially in a, in a nutshell um, how the Fed uses two of its most powerful uh, tools to basically prop up economic growth. Uh, there, uh, you know, it's got a lot more in its arsenal, but uh, that's how it works. Uh, 30 second answer anyway. I thank you for so many of you watching. We're the only place where our 30-second answers go two minutes. Um, <laughs> this is an interactive show. We appreciate you watching. This is a movement. Seven Investing is about teaching people how to be long-term investors, and we do that here on the live stream. We do that through our paid investing service, seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. But without further ado, we are all hooked up. We are ready to hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, share the graphic. How will the market perform in 2021? Austin, you mentioned optimism before. 61% said it will be up. 12% think it's going to finish the year down. Only about 7% predict a major prolonged crash. And uh, about 19% say rocket to the moon, baby. Austin, I know you have to go. I'll give you a quick word here. <laughs> uh, no idea. Historically, the market's up two out of every three years. So if you're going by statistics, you're best off just voting that the market's going to go up. Austin, feel free to duck out. Steve Simonton, I'll give you the last word here. Uh, I'll say first, I have no idea. Uh, but if I had to vote, I would say it would end the year up. And uh, that's just, you know, I, I think uh, there's plenty of tailwinds to, to, to prop things up, but I could be surprised. Mark Hammer, we appreciate you watching. Uh, and we, uh, we appreciate all the kind comments. That finishes up our next to last seven investing now for the year. But on Wednesday, the rest of the team, minus Matt Cochran, who, as I mentioned, on some family business, uh, it is the Christmas season. We're going to do part two. We're going to answer the same four questions. We're going to take your questions. We are going to do all sorts of stock-related stuff. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, we take your questions not just on the air. We're really active on social media. So you can reach us at 7investing on Twitter. That's the number seven investing on Twitter. That could be any of us. It's usually me in the morning. Uh, 
Or you could email us at info at seveninvesting.com. Usually Steve answering the email, but he passes it out to all of us. And of course, it's the Christmas season, so we might be a little slower to answer or traveling or baking a gingerbread house or whatever it is you do. I don't know. I'm Jewish. I don't know that much about the Christmas season. Uh, with that being said, thank you for watching 7 Investing Now. We'll see you Wednesday. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.